Samuel chapter 5, and that's what we're going to be studying uh, and see how far we get tonight as we're looking at the reign of David in 2 Samuel. And so 2 Samuel chapter 5, if you'll turn there, and we do read, as we read the first five verses here, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led is um, you are the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. And therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So let's pray. Father, we do ask that tonight as we once again open up your word, we want to make application tonight. We want to look at the reign of David and see those things, those characteristics and those principles which made him a great king, a great leader, and how we can apply those things in our lives as we desire to lead our families, as we desire to lead in our business or in the community, and certainly here in ministry in the church. Lord, we want to look at this and learn, and we want to see your heart. So I pray that we be free from distractions. I pray that uh, as we come in with lots of things on our minds, that uh, we would just set them aside right now, just focus on you and your word, allow you to touch our hearts and to take your word and work it deep within our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 5 here is 2 Samuel. Finally, finally, David becomes the king of Israel. And as we have seen going through this book, and remember in the Hebrew Bible, First and Second Samuel was all one book, and in our Bibles today, they're separated. But it was many years before this um, that we saw that David was told that you're going to be the king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel, and now finally that promise has come to pass that God has made to David. And so David made king over all of Israel. The nation is now united as they come to David, all of the elders of the different tribes, and they say that, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. We are your brethren. We are a nation right now. And last week we discussed about how the nation was split. It was David for seven and a half years, as we read here in verse 5, that he was king over the tribe of Judah for those seven years in Hebron. It was the other 11 tribes that were under Saul's house, under the reign of Ishbosheth, Saul's son, who was reigning during that time. And David, he didn't try to force the issue, but there was that division that was there. So there was Abner, the captain of Saul's and uh, uh, Ishobeth's uh, army that was fighting against David and his men. And so there was that division, and it's going to be a division that actually is going to show up later on in their history after the reign of Solomon when his son Rehoboam becomes the king. Then we're going to see that the ten northern tribes are going to split off from the two southern tribes, that is Judah and Benjamin. And so now they come together, and as we discussed last week, we saw that there is um, difficulties and problems that arise whenever there is division. Certainly it was a difficult time as the house of Saul was 
doing battle with the house of David. And the house of David was growing stronger and the house of Saul was getting weaker as we discuss. And it was all because the Lord desired for David to be the king of Israel. Now that they come together, there is unity. And David is going to lead the nation. I think chapters 5 through chapter 10, we're going to see the highlight of David's reign. We're going to see how God is prospering him and using him. We're going to see David being one that is showing those characteristics and principles of a great leader. David was the one that was declared to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And we're going to see why here as we go through these chapters over the next couple weeks. And David here now being king over all of Israel, all of the tribes coming together and recognizing that, David, you are our king. And I want to remind this once again because I think it's important that as we see it's exciting times for us here at Calvary Chapel as the radio program has gone out and we're seeing new people and people are coming and being refreshed and renewed and they're hearing the word of God really being taught, not that they didn't before, but but verse by verse, line upon line, they're growing in the scriptures and we're seeing God work in a very exciting way here at Calvary Chapel. What I hope is that we would continue in just being united together, knitted together in one heart and one mind and one spirit for the purposes that God has for us. And I think that we need to be reminded of that at this time in our study and at this time in what we're seeing happening here at the church at Calvary Chapel because it was division in the New Testament that Paul would have to address certainly to the Corinthian church of all the problems that he would address to them in 1 Corinthians. And remember that when we went through that epistle not long ago, that 1 Corinthians was a corrective letter. And of all the things that Paul was correcting that church of, what was the first thing that he addressed them on? It was the vision that was going on in the church. But also, when he was writing to the church of Philippi, he also would address the church of Philippi, some division that was taking place. There was this um, division, and there was this, um, this upheaval that was caused in the church by two individuals, and Paul would address that. He would say that you're to strive together uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And so he would go on and he would talk about coming together and being knitted together with one heart and one spirit and one mind. And then in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, he would tell the believers how you are to do that. And that's what I want to remind us of. How we continue to do that is we do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. But in loneliness of mind, in humility, let us esteem others better than ourselves. And looking out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so that's how we keep unity. And then Paul would continue to give the example of Jesus Christ who humbled himself, came to this world, became a bondservant, was obedient to death, to death on a cross. And now he's going to be exalted to where every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Paul goes on and he says that, that you make sure that you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? He didn't say that you have to work for your salvation. Salvation comes by faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But what he is saying, because you are a Christian, because you are saved, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Make sure that you're not doing anything through selfish ambition or conceit. You're looking out for the interests of others not just your own interest and i think that's a real trap in our focus on me society that we live in 
that we can begin to, I want my interest to be in the forefront and in the priority. I want what I want, and that can filter into the church. But we need to do that which honors the Lord and pleases the Lord in serving one another and looking out for the interests of others, letting our conduct be worthy to where people can see that we are one in Christ, one body in Christ bonded together by love. And that's what my prayer is for this church, that as people come in, they see the love of Christ in us and through us and in this place, that they sense that, that indeed that we're one body coming together because there's a lot of people out there that they don't know the gospel. And we can't get distracted by so many different things as the enemy comes in and tries to pull us away from the focus of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And make sure that we're making the main thing the main thing, and that is that we want to present the gospel to people, the truth of God's word, that we want to encourage people to grow in the Lord, and we want people to be encouraged to serve the Lord. And that's what we're to be about. He says, make sure that you are not murmuring and complaining. Make sure that you're blameless. I don't want people to look at Calvary Chapel Greeley. I don't want people to look at my life and say, boy, you guys are Christians. All you're doing is fighting and bickering and arguing and and analyzing and criticizing. We don't want that to happen, do we? We don't want that in our own families and in our own lives individually and certainly not in this church corporately. So David is bringing the nation under unity, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing here. And, And we realize that Jesus, who became flesh and died for us, He's our elder brother. And it's interesting, when you go through the Old Testament, after 2 Samuel, you go through First and Second Kings, which talks uh, about the kings that would rule in the house of Israel, in the house of Judah, and then First and Second Chronicles. And First and Second Chronicles deals only with the kings of Judah down south. And in Second Chronicles, or First Chronicle, that is, chapter 12, you see the coronation of David at this time that we're talking about here in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when they anointed him as king. And the soldiers would be numbered as they would come from all the different tribes as they come and they make David their king. And they numbered 340,000 soldiers, that it says. And it tells us there in chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles that they came with loyal hearts to make David king over Israel. And they had a feast for three days and that there was great joy in Israel. You know how we can have great joy in this church and in our lives and in our families? Is when there is that unity, that beauty of of just being loyal to the Lord and just trusting in the Lord and what He is doing. And there's gladness and joy that happens. And understand that, that Jesus Christ that we have great joy that comes from him. He died for us. He rose again after three days. And I can't wait. And you think about the feast that they had in the Old Testament at this time and, uh, when they made David king, those three days that they feasted and all these soldiers and all the elders and the people saying, we're one. We recognize, David, that you're our king. You're bringing us together as one. I, I think about when Moses, back in the book of Exodus, when he uh, would dedicate the tabernacle. That was a great time in their history out there in the wilderness. I think about when Solomon dedicated the temple after David here, that there was a great feast and the glory of the Lord shone. I can't wait until we go home to be with the Lord and we're all together at what is called the marriage feast of the Lamb, celebrating our salvation with the Lord together, all together together with him and with each other, that's going to be the greatest day of all.
So we see here that David is made king. Now, as I mentioned, David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And I think in these first five verses here that we see some of the principles that we can apply in our own lives, how we can be great in God's eyes if we desire to be a leader that is pleasing to the Lord, that, that honors the Lord. And I think that God desires for us to be ones that are leaders. You see, a leader in your home, mom and dads. Maybe a leader in the workplace or certainly a, a leader here in the church. Maybe the Lord would call you to do that. But one of the things for you to, to be a leader in wherever God has you, there's some important principles that we see here that we can apply for you note takers. Number one is that we can see patience. We see that David is finally anointed king as they anointed him king over Israel in verse 3 here. David was told nearly 20 years before this, as Samuel the prophet came to his house, David was called from the fields as he was out with the sheep. And he was called in, he was anointed as the new king of Israel because the kingdom had been taken from Saul and given over to the one who has a heart after God. David, you're the one. And Samuel would whisper in David's ear, you're the new king of Israel. And it would be nearly 20 years later that this promise has come to pass. So for us to desire to be a leader, whether mom and dad's in your home or whether it's a leader in the church, number one is patience. Number one is patience. And maybe as you read the promises of God and you look at them, there's a period of time that will pass before that promise is fulfilled. You see, that happened in Abraham's life, didn't it? Abraham was told that, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a, a son, and through your descendants, Abraham is going to be a great nation. And Abraham, he had to wait 25 years before his son was born, that the covenant and the promise would go through Isaac. And so Abraham waited for the promise to be fulfilled. We know that Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus, as we read in the book of Acts, as he met the Lord and he was converted and he was blinded and he would be led to Damascus and to where a brother would minister to him and he was prophesied over, told that, uh, Paul, you're going to be one that you're going to give the gospel to, to your brethren, to rulers, kings, and to the Gentiles. And, of course, Paul would be one that would stand before King Agrippa. He stood before Caesar Nero, we know that. But also he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul, when he received that promise, it didn't happen right away. Paul didn't get out of bed, healed of his blindness, and said, okay, here I am, ta-da. But he would go through a period of time where God was preparing him. Just as God was preparing Moses for 40 years in the wilderness, as he was herding sheep, just as he was preparing David for all those years that he was a shepherd boy and then he would be running from Saul. And we talked about that, didn't we, as we traveled through 1 Samuel, that it was David that, that he was learning that, Lord, you're my refuge. I trust in you. I turn to you. You are the one that supplies all of my needs. You are the one, Lord, that is going to be my protector. And you're the one that I can cry out to. He learned to be a worshiper and trust in the Lord and rest in the Lord. And it made him a great king. And so we see that in the life of Paul. Paul, we know that after he received that promise, would go down to Arabia where he was taught by the Lord, and then he ended up in Tarsus. He was learning to make tents. 
And he did that, some scholars say, for almost 10 years. He had to learn a new trade. He was no longer a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had to support himself, but that would be used when he went on those missionary journeys and he would have to support himself in making tents. But it would be, Paul, that went through all those years of the Lord preparing him. And finally, it was Barnabas that came and knocked on his door and said, Paul, we got revival going on in Antioch. Come and teach the brethren. And then Paul would be called and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. I want to encourage you that maybe there's a promise you've read in God's word and you're saying, Lord, I'm waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. He's going to fulfill his promise. He is faithful. He is true. Maybe the Lord has put something on your heart. Here's the thing. The Lord will prepare you for that. And so the scripture says in Zechariah chapter 4, don't despise the day of small things. You just be faithful to where God has you. And the promise that he gives to us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is a promise that I know that I've quoted this to you before, but it brings great you know, assurance to me and it brings rest to me and, and to my life knowing that that, Lord, the confidence that you who have begun a good work in me will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, being confident of this very thing, no doubt about it. He's begun a great work in you, and he's going to bring that work to completion. And perhaps he's put a ministry on your heart, or he's called you to do something, or, or maybe there's a promise that you've laid hold of, and he will fulfill that. But don't despise the day of small things. Allow the Lord to continue to work through you and in you. So number one, not only do we have patience, but second of all, faithfulness, reliability. You're the one who led us, as we see here in verse 2 in time past. You're the one that was really the one that was leading us, and that was being worked out in David's life, even though he was going through a tough time. You see, a good quality of a leader, one who's leading their home or leading in the community or leading in the church, you got to be faithful. you got to be reliable. you got to keep doing it. And David was. David, as he was being pursued by Saul, he didn't just chuck it in and leave and just said, forget this. But David continued on. He continued growing in the Lord, learning those important lessons. He was faithful. Listen, the Lord said, be faithful in the little things, and I'll give you greater things to do. And sometimes people, they, they want grandiose things to do, and, but the thing is they're not faithful in the little things. And again, wherever the Lord has you, whatever he's doing through you, you just be reliable, you be faithful. So not only patience and faithfulness, thirdly, David was a shepherd. And as you as a leader, dad's in your home, a leader in the church, you need to be a shepherd. David learned to tend the sheep and to feed the sheep and to guard the sheep and to protect the sheep. And those of us who are leaders, you need to take on those characteristics. You need to feed. I'm here to feed the sheep, not beat the sheep, but feed the sheep. I'm here to tend, just as Peter was told, feed my sheep and tend my sheep. Peter loved them, to guard and protect. And that's what we're to do, dads, in your home. You lead, you feed your children. Not only do you provide for them physically, but you are to provide for them spiritually having devotions with them, raising them up in the ways of the Lord, making sure that you're sharing those things of the word of God and the things of God with your children as you raise them in the admonition of the Lord. You are to guard and protect. Make sure that you guard and protect what is coming into your home. 
And so those are the good qualities here that David had. He was a great shepherd. So he was faithful, he was reliable, he was patient, he was a good shepherd. And then fourthly, we see the qualities that are in uh, a good quality of, of, of a leader is the people will recognize it. They will see that is the call of God on your life. They did with David. He didn't just say, hey, I guess I'm the king. You know, you guys don't realize this, but 20 years ago, it was Samuel the prophet that came and anointed me. They said, no, we recognize it. We know. We know that you're going to shepherd the people of Israel and rule over Israel. They had saw the call of God in their life. You know, for those who desire to really, you know, lead, it's not, not just a title that you get, but it's a calling that you follow. Are you truly leading in your homes? Are you really the leader in the business that, that you have? Or maybe you're called to be a supervisor. People see that. Yeah, you know what? I can see that God has them in that position, a leader in the church. They're going to see it. And they did with David. And so that's important. And then fifthly, longevity. David was king for 40 years serving the Lord. I think that's a very important point. We don't want to miss that. I've had people that they, they want to serve the Lord and they're all excited about serving the Lord. And they do it for a couple years and they say, well, did that, done that. Enough of that. I'm not going to do it anymore. i got other things to do. You know, as parents, there's longevity, isn't there? Any of us that have raised children. And then that turns over to Lord willing and, and at times to grandchildren to be a blessing to them. And some of you, you, you've raised your children and, and you've been a blessing to your grandchildren. It doesn't stop. And maybe to your great-grandchildren. Because you have the opportunity to be a blessing to them and to pray for them and, and to minister to them. And longevity is very important that you keep going, you keep doing it, you keep being a blessing to others in where God has you and where He has placed you. And in the church, it's the same way in ministry. I think there, there's too many people that just quit too soon in serving the Lord. And there's very few that really go in the long haul. I'm going to serve the Lord the days of my life as long as I can and the opportunities that he gives to me. And certainly there's changes of season that, that people go through and opportunities, but your desire is to continue to serve. And David did for 40 years serving the Lord. He continued to do it. And longevity is a very important principle if we desire to be a leader that is pleasing to the Lord, that being used of the Lord in, in a good and in, in a very amazing way. So verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so then David dwelt in a stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. And so the capture of Jerusalem, isn't it amazing? Now, Jerusalem is on that hill Moriah. And when Joshua came into the land some 450 years previously, they conquered the land, but they did not conquer Mount Moriah, where the Jebusites were, a tribe of the Canaanites. 
they were there and they went all around them. I mean, they conquered around them. You remember in the book of Judges that that man that was from Ephraim went to Bethlehem to get his concubine and they went around here to Jebusites and they went to the city of Benjamin. They were right there, but they never conquered that place where Jerusalem would be, where the Jebusites were. Because it was on a hill, they had a wall around the city, it was easily defendable, and so they were overconfident. Here the Jebusites, they had been there for 450 years while the children of Israel were in the land. And they're thinking, there's no way that they're going to conquer us. Joshua didn't conquer us. None of the other leaders have been able to conquer us. It's been 450 years. You know what? The blind and the lame can defeat you, David. Who do you think that you are to conquer us? So the Jebusites were overconfident. And the thing is that there are those in the world that are overconfident, aren't they? They put their trust in the world. They will say, who do you Christians think that you are? that the Lord's going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom. No way that's going to happen. And of course, Peter would prophesy that in the last days there would be those who would come mocking the return of the Lord. What I pray, and I'm sure that none of you here do this, that you don't put your confidence in the world. The world is a mess. I can't see how anybody can put their confidence in the world. And the world's going to come to an abrupt end as we went over to Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to establish his kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him. Our confidence is in him. So those of the world that put their confidence in the world, it's a false hope. And the Jebusites have this false hope. They're thinking, ha, there's no way the blind and the lame can defend you. It was an insult to David. So we see that they ended up becoming defeated. David says, whoever you know, goes by the way of the water chef and defeats the Jebusites, I'm going to make them captains. So what happened was, and they found this in re- recent excavations uh, that they've done, is that the Jebusites had a water source inside the city wall. But to get to that water source, they dug a tunnel from the spring all the way into the city, and then there was a shaft that was 45 feet deep that they would open up inside the city walls, and they would drop their buckets down there, and they had a cistern down there that collected the water from the spring that came through the tunnels. So it traveled along. There was a collection, a cistern, and then they dropped their bucket inside the city wall. In the ancient cities, one of the things that was very important is that you protected your water source. If you didn't, you were done. So here they had these tunnels that came to collect water in a cistern, and they would just have a water source that was there. So David says, whoever can get in that tunnel, go through that tunnel and go up 45 feet, which is a long ways up that shaft, and get to the Jebusites inside the city is going to be my captain. And we know that, of course, it would be according to First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 6, it was Joab that did that. He went up through that shaft. He got up through there somehow. Matter of fact, they just recently found that shaft. They showed it to us when we were in Israel last month. And he went up through the shaft, got into the city, opened up the city gates, and of course the Jebusites were defeated. There's one more application here before we move on. They thought no way that you could be ones that are going to defeat us. You know, in our own lives, sometimes there are strongholds in our lives, areas that are difficult to conquer. But the son of David, that is the greater than David, Jesus Christ, can conquer them for us. And he does it by the Holy Spirit. 
And I know that there may be some that you got this stronghold. You think, Lord, I've just struggled in this area. It's been a struggle. You keep praying. You keep asking the Lord. You keep reading your Bibles. You keep close to the Lord. You keep walking with him. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But you may think, I'll never get over this. But the Lord is the one that desires and has the power through the Holy Spirit to conquer those strongholds in your life. Put your faith in him. Continue to trust in him. Yield to the Lord and let him do that work that he wants to in your life. And so verse 10, David went on and became great in verse 10. And the Lord of God of hosts was with him. Why was David great? One reason, because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him and working through him. The reason that we can become great, not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, is knowing that, Lord, that you're with me. You've saved me. You've forgiven me. And, Lord, you're with me right now. And I humble myself to you. I, I come and I yield my life and surrender my life to you. Remember all those lessons of those of you who've been here on Sunday morning that we saw going through Mark's gospel when the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus said, you, you want to be the greatest? This is how you become the greatest in God's eyes, in God's kingdom. You humble yourself as a child. You receive a child, one of these little ones in my names. You be the servant of all. You don't lord over others. And he goes and he talks about the mark of true greatness in God's kingdom. And it's true with us, just yielding to the Lord, coming in childlike faith, trusting in him, and, and humble before him, and being the servant of all, serving others. And that's the way I want to be. I want to be great in God's eyes. But that doesn't come easy all the time, does it? Our flesh doesn't easily just accept that I'm to be the servant of all. You know, we want to be noticed. We want to be elevated. We want to be great in people's eyes rather than, Lord, I want to be great in your eyes. And that means that I'm going to be last, not first. I'm going to be serving, not be served. Lord, I'm going to receive one of these little ones. And we talked about what that means. And Lord, I'm going to deal with my life radically. That is, Jesus said, if you got sin, you need to deal with it. And so that's how we become great in God's eyes. The Lord is with us as the Lord is working through David. And so verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shalmuah and Shabab, Nathan and Solomon, and then verses 15 and 16. You can read those names there, more children that are born to David there. But again, as we discussed a little bit about this last week, because in chapter 3 we saw that six sons were named with six wives. Now we see that more wives are given to David, and David multiplied wives. When we saw that God's intention is for there to be that one man, one woman relationship coming together and being one. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Back in Genesis chapter 2. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 17, the Lord said, When you go into the promised land and ask for a king, the king is not to multiply wives. And David did. David is being blessed of the Lord. But at this point, in this area of his life, he compromises. And his son Solomon did too. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And some of those wives and concubines caused Solomon 
to worship idols because they were from foreign lands. And Solomon bowed the knee to idols. Now, David never did, but we do see that it would cause David problems as we're going to see later on as we continue on here in 2 Samuel. But here's the thing. God is blessing. And you know what? The Lord blesses us in our lives. Certainly he can do that. He can bless us with material things. He can bless us in different ways and to where we prosper. But that's where we need to be careful that we don't say, okay, the Lord is blessing me so I can compromise in this area because you know what? You're not going to get away with it. And it's going to catch up and it's going to bite you. And it's going to end up producing its rotten fruit is what's going to happen. And that's what happened with David. And God told the kings not to multiply wives because he wanted to bless them and wanted them to be in a place of safety and in a place where they wouldn't compromise. But David does. And we'll see the trouble that it's going to cause in his family. Prosperity can cause trouble. Uh, I was listening to Pastor Chuck on the radio and um, on the, um, the answers and questions that they have after our show. And somebody said, you know, I was listening to this prosperity teacher, and he said that being poor is a curse and, and all of this, and, and um, you know, prosperity is, you know, the sign of God's blessing. You know what? It can be a sign of God's blessing. It, it's not things, but it's the love of things that get us in the problem. And, and Pastor Chuck brought out a very good point. He said, you know, prosperity can get us into trouble. Because we begin to trust in those things. So whether we have a little or whether we have few, every good gift comes from above, but here's the key. You stay focused on the Lord. You don't compromise in any area of your life. And what God has blessed you with, you be good steward of it and give to the Lord. And David, he ignored that command not to multiply wives. And we will see the consequences of that as we continue on. But first in verse 17 of chapter 5, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim. And so David inquired the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hands so the philistine the enemy comes against david as you are growing in the lord as you're being blessed by the lord guess what's going to happen the enemy is going to come against you you see the enemy doesn't say oh you're growing you're going to calvary chapel oh that's great you know you're growing and going through bible study and you're making friends with brothers and sisters and you're serving the lord i think i'm just going to cut you some slack and you know, leave you alone. That's not the enemy. The enemy is going to have cause to really come against you if you're growing in your faith, you're growing in the Lord, you're being used of the Lord. Certainly he's going to come against you. You see, he's going to have a meeting with his demons and your name's going to come up. And he's going to say, this person has got to be stopped. And I'm sure that he's having a meeting thinking this church has got to be stopped. I don't like what's going on here. You know, the, the gospel and the word of God's going throughout the radio. You know, people are coming. They're getting saved. People are learning God's word. We've got to do something. And for you, the enemy will come against you and against us. And we need to understand that. It's a battle out there. It's a battle out there. And the enemy is going to do anything that he can to get a foothold into your life and your family and in this church corporately. And so David was aware of that. I think he knew that the Philistines were going to attack him. We need to know that. 
And so the key is when the enemy does attack that we're seeking the Lord like David did. He's seeking the Lord. Okay, what do I do, Lord? And the Lord gave him the answer. What we are to do is we seek God's word. What we are to do is submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise given from the book of James. So he's been defeated, but he's still going to come and war against us and battle against us in this life. And it will continue over and over again until we go home to be with the Lord. Because that's what we're going to see here is as David got these instructions of the Lord in verse 20. So David went to Baal Perazim and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And he left their images there and David and his men carried them away. And so here is David. He he defeats the enemy. They carried the idols away. The implication here is they destroyed them. David, again, never bowed the knee to an idol. Get rid of the idols in your life. If you want to be truly victorious, get rid of the idols in your life. What's an idol? Anything that has priority over your relationship and your devotion and your love to the Lord. Anything. The hobbies, the, the whatever it may be. The pursuit, wanting the power, wanting to be noticed, you know, whatever that idol is that has priority over your devotion and love to the Lord. What motivates you to get up in the morning? What motivates you during the day? Is the Lord truly the priority? And I think it's important that, especially in the day in which we're living in, that, Lord, are there any idols in my heart? Am I building any idols? Is there anything that's truly becoming a priority? It doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy, you know, life and doing certain things and enjoy our families. Of course we can. But what is the priority of your life? And we don't want those idols. And David got rid of them and he burned them there in the valley of Rephraim, which is just south of Jerusalem, a few miles. So verse 22, and the Philistines went up once again to deploy themselves in the valley Rephraim. Know this, that the enemy is going to keep coming back and he's going to keep coming back and he's going to keep coming back after us just as he did the enemy with David. In verse 23, therefore David inquired the Lord and said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove, he drove back the Philistines from Gebar as far as Gezer. So David, as the same place, same enemy comes against David, the Lord says, shall I do the same thing? And the Lord says, no, David. Uh-uh. This time I want you to circle around them and you wait, you wait. You stay in front of the mulberry trees until you hear the marching, the tops of the mulberry trees. You see, it's important that each and every day that we are searching the Lord, that we go to Him. Lord, I know that today as I live for you, do you want me to stay on course or is there something different you want me to do or when the enemy attacks Lord, how am I to handle this situation? Searching the word of God, being sensitive to the still small voice of God as he speaks to you. Because sometimes he says, this time I want you to wait until you get the marching orders. Until you hit the marching of the mulberry trees. And I think that's another great quality of David is that first of all, he continually went to the Lord. And was sensitive to the leading of the Lord. 
And that's very important for us as a leader in our home and a leader in, you know, the community. If you're ministering out in a different ministry out there or if you're ministering here, that you're sensitive to just searching the Lord and hearing from Him. And then second of all, waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. David, you wait. Do you hear the wind blowing in the mulberry trees? And when you do, then you move out. And you see, in our own lives, when the Lord tells us to move, then we need to move. When He tells us to wait, we need to wait. Just being led by the Lord. That's what makes being a Christian so exciting. Do you know that? It isn't this mundane, you know, routine every single day. It's, Lord, what do you have for me today? And the Lord will keep you on course where you're supposed to go, but being free and flexible if the Lord wants to change course for you, if I want you to talk to this person. I want you to go in this direction. I, I want you to wait today. I, I want you to be still. Spend some time with me. Or I want you to move out now. I want you to get going. And it's exciting when the Lord does that. And he prompts you and gives you that peace that rules in your heart and just, you know, confidence that, Lord, you're working in my life right now. So David was sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And in chapter 6, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwell between the cherubim. So you remember the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was that piece of furnishing in the Holy of Holies. You remember in the book of Exodus, that as they were constructing the tabernacle, you see at this time the temple has not been built. The tabernacle was constructed to where um, Moses was told to build the tabernacle and to build the furnishings of the tabernacle. And then the inner sanctuary, or the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was just a wooden box made of acacia wood overlaid with gold that was about three feet long, about two feet high, and two feet wide. It had a lid on it made of pure gold called the mercy seat. And that's where the cherubim were. And it was the furnishing, the only furnishing in the Holy of Holies. And it was the high priest only once a year that would go into that room behind the veil that separated the inner sanctuary from the outer sanctuary. Or the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And he went in on the Day of Atonement. As he made atonement, he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement. It was the Lord that told Moses, build the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and I will dwell between the cherubim. It symbolizes the vision that we see of Isaiah, the vision of Ezekiel, the vision of John in the book of Revelation, the throne of God with the cherubim around the throne of God. Well, here is the cherubim, the guardians of the throne of God. And, and that was to symbolize where God dwelt. And so the Shekinah glory of God, the tangible presence of God between the cherubim there, it was the most important furnishing in the tabernacle. And it was there in the tabernacle. And so they would come into the promised land and the tabernacle would be there at Gilgal for the time that they were conquering the land. And then it ended up in Shiloh, for a few hundred years. And as we moved into 1 Samuel, you recall chapter 4 is Samuel was being raised in the tabernacle. Eli was the high priest at that time. That as they were finding themselves, the children of Israel, at the end of the days of the judges. Eli was the judge. He was the spiritual leader of the land. But yet the hearts of the people were not right towards God. 
and they were defeated by the Philistines. And so somebody got this bright idea, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant, let's bring it out for battle, and we'll defeat the Philistines. Well, what ended up happening is the children of Israel got defeated. The Ark of the Covenant, you recall, got captured and went over to the Philistine territory. And Eli ended up dying when he heard, you know, the news that the Ark of the Covenant had died and his two sons were killed in the battle and, and, um, and all of this. That was all in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the Ark of the Covenant goes to, um, first of all, to the Temple of Dagon um, there in Ashdod. And as they placed it there as their trophy, we captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines, and they put it in that pagan temple, and Dagon, their fish god, you remember, was fallen over. So they plopped it back up, and the next day they came back, and it was fallen over, and Dagon's head was, you know, broken off in his hands, and they thought, Dagon, something's going on here. So, <laughs> so let's get rid of this thing. And God began to struck the, the people of Ashdod, so they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in Gath, and then they were getting struck by tumors and all of this. And so they sent it to Ekron. The people of Ekron are going, why would you send it here? This, you know, we're all going to be killed. So after seven months of, you know, the Ark of the Covenant being a hot potato, going to all these cities of the Philistines, they decided to put it on a cart and send it back to Israel. So it would go back to Israel there, and it ended up going through the valley to Beth Shemesh, and then ended up going to Gerjath Jerim. And so the Ark of the Covenant has been there for about 20 years now. Now that David has captured the city of David at Jerusalem, he's going to make that his capital, no longer Hebron. And he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to the tabernacle, the tent that he has set up there. And later on, in just a few chapters, we're going to see that it is David's desire to build a temple, a permanent place where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be placed. But he's got to get it from Kirjath Jerim, about 10 miles over to where he is in the city of David. And that's what we'll read about next time. We don't have time to go into it tonight. So, Father, we thank you as we go through these chapters and, and seeing the way that you work through David and just um, how David was a man that uh, loved you and he was great because you were with him and working through him. And Father, I pray for us here t tonight that as we look at these characteristics, first of all, we know that we cannot, Lord, be great in your sight unless we're humbled before you, unless we yield to you. And Father, I, I just thank you that Jesus Christ came and died for us on Calvary's cross. And Lord, we have confidence in him. We have confidence that we have a living hope that comes as we have forgiveness of sin, a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that we would never put our confidence in the world. And Lord, I pray that we would always be humbled before you and yield to you. And Father, that the true markness of greatness is just allowing you to work through us through the Holy Spirit, just being a servant and being faithful and patient. And Lord, just um, being reliable, not despise the day of small things or the things that you're doing through us. I pray that you'd help us be the parents that you called us to in raising our children or the grandparents. Lord, that you would help us to, to be ones that, Lord, People see that we're different at the workplace or if we're leading a business to really 
be a leader that pleases you. Lord, as we desire to minister, whatever that might mean. Father, help us to take on these characteristics of being faithful and reliable and longevity, not just quitting after a short time, but just continuing to seek you and where you have us and opportunities. Father, I, I pray that for us that are here, if anybody, if we have strongholds in our lives that we struggle with, that right now that we would just confess it, and Lord, we know that you're the one, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that he is able to conquer those strongholds, that you would do that work, that we would look to you, we would yield to you, and Lord, just walk with you. Yield to the Holy Spirit, knowing that we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And Father, I do pray for us as a church, we thank you for what you're doing, but Lord, our confidence is never in...